Good morning, everyone. Good morning, those online. Um, there was a line in an article of yesterday's paper that jumped right out at me, and I quote, the big challenge in today's liberal democratic world is to be able to live with uncertainty. That was my cue. So I've been prompted, and today I think we're going to pray about uncertainty in today's world. We could just repeat the children's song again, because that covers all the points, really. <laughs> so it's a nice segue between the two. So let's pray. Father God, life seems to have become so very uncertain for many of us. Forgive us, Father, we pray that when we allow uncertainty to play on our minds, uncertainty about where we will live, what about our job, our finances, our family and relationships, our kids' education, the rising cost of living, new threats to our health, whether we can access health care when we, want, when we need to, changes in governments, changes in our world, climate change, the rise of autocracies and tyrannies, more wars and military coups and their widespread consequences and the loss of moral fibre and decency in many so-called Christian countries. <clears throat> Help us, Father, we pray, to understand how uncertainty can so easily turn into concern and concern to anxiety <clears throat> and anxiety to worry and then fear. And we understand how Satan uses fear and especially fear of the unknown to distract and paralyse us and draw us away from you. So please forgive us, Father, when we forget to cast our anxieties on you and miss that blessing of peace you give that passes all understanding. Father, we remember, we thank you and we praise you that at every place and every time you are our rock, our refuge, our strong foundation, our very present help. We thank you that you're a counsellor, a light to our feet. You've got authority over all things in heaven and earth and that you are our saviour. Help us, we pray, to fix and embed into our hearts and minds the certainty of your nearness, the power of your sovereignty, the assurance of your good, good plan and purposes for us and that you will work all things for good for us who love you that we can trust you first and foremost and our priority is first and always to follow Jesus. Help us, we pray, to remember and follow the example of the Old Testament heroes in their trust and, in, and certainty in you, of their faith and fearlessness. Help us to follow that same example of certainty and fearlessness of those in the early church we read about in the book of Acts. Help us, we pray, to follow that same example in Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Help us, Father, we pray, to remember your encouragement to be strong and courageous and your assurance that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. <clears throat> Help us, we pray, to grow in that same certainty that we too might be examples to those around us in this troubled world. Strengthen us, we pray, as we try to reflect our confidence in Jesus' love, his grace, his goodness, 
his glory to this world. Help us behave and act calmly and confidently and even joyfully, knowing that all things are secure in the faithful hands of our loving God. Help us, Father, to understand that we may be needed to comfort or encourage others. Father, help us, we pray, in these uncertain times to turn to Jesus today, to turn to Jesus tomorrow, and to turn to Jesus in the days to come, and to model his example to the community around us. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Uncertain times we are in, and I think every generation that before us has been in uncertain times, and the early church in Acts were in uncertain times, and we can learn a lot from them and how they reacted, but there is going to be a, a certain time, ultimately, that drove and, and, and was what enabled the early church to move forward, and that was that this earth was not their home, that future heaven was their end destination, and that is certain. Uh, and whilst they lived in uncertainty and trial and persecution and not sure what the next day would, would happen, they had a certainty that, that uh, what's the word, motivated them uh, in their actions, the certainty of heaven being their home. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, this morning. Welcome everyone again. Uh, welcome to you if you're online, uh, if you're new to our church or if you're watching for the first time. My name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills Christian Family Centre and it is my privilege uh, to be able to bring the word to you today. As I said, we are in the middle of, well it's not really the middle, it's only just begun, hasn't it? Uh, the, the series on the book of Acts. We're wanting to do this because uh, if, if we're, our vision for this year is making a difference, we want to make a difference in our lives, we want to make a difference in the world, we want our church to be real and functional and thriving. And what better model could we have of the early church, those early disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit, making a difference in their communities and making a difference uh, in their world. But of course, it wasn't just about the apostles and, and their, how their own gifts and how strong they were. It's really, and Luke's really strong on this. He wants to follow the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants to follow the message of the gospel as it spreads out from Jerusalem into Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And we thank God that those first disciples took seriously the mission of God. Why? Because we're the ends of the earth. They, they, we would not be here today unless they took seriously the message to go out into all of the world. We are the ends of the earth that the message has got to. We're asking ourselves some questions as you go along, as you, you hear, as you read yourself, as you've got your Bibles open. As you place yourself in this narrative, imagine that you're there. Imagine what's going on. And as you come with your own thinking, your own understanding, perhaps your own theology, what are you, what are you challenged by? What stands out to you? What surprises you uh, as we want to be a people of the book? Uh, secondly, for us as a church, and we're going to be, be looking at this this morning, at the end of Acts chapter 2, there's a beautiful snapshot of what the early church looked like. What should What should we glean from that? How should we respond and what should our priorities be as a local church? 
And more importantly, for you sitting here today, or if you're listening to this online, what is Jesus saying to you? The word of God is alive. And Jesus speaks through his word to you. And I pray that that be the case this morning. Whatever jumps out at you, that it would touch your lives and that you would be changed and transformed. So, Lord Jesus, we just open up ourselves to you now. Pray that you remove all the barriers that get in the way of just hearing from you, your beautiful, sweet voice speaking to us, encouraging us, lifting us up. Lord, would you speak this morning through your word and would it transform lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 2 and last week I was, I was hoping to pretty much get through Peter's sermon but we, we weren't able to do that. It was the sermon that happened at Pentecost and Joe had, and I had a conversation this morning. I used Google to work out when Pentecost was and I, I got told it was next week but Joe said, no, it's this week, like in the calendar. Pentecost means 50 days. So if you count 50 days from Easter, so I went to the calendar this morning and I was like, one, two, three, four, five. So today is Pentecost on the, on the calendar, 50 days after our, our Easter. So uh, Jesus was, the risen Jesus taught and encouraged his disciples for 40 days. And then for 10 days, after his ascension, they waited and 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 they were obedient and they waited and they prayed and they prayed and they waited and they waited and then suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost and we, we talked about that last week. Um, and I want to just finish Peter's sermon this morning before we get into the early church because this is the first sermon ever preached in the new church. So I think it's probably worth looking at. Um, and we, we see the New Testament church uh, grow and, and, and new people come to faith uh, out of this sermon. But first of all, I just want to ask a question. What do you think is humanity's biggest fear? Perhaps maybe after death, because I think that's a big fear for a lot of people. I think failure is a big fear each and every one of us have. In fact, uh, most nightmares have to do with us failing at something, going up to give a talk and bumbling our words or running a race and not being able to move our legs or whatever the, whatever the, the, the dream is. In fact, our lives are full of failure. Our first steps as, as toddlers, we get up and we fail. Uh, you know, most things that we try for the first time we fail, and there's, there's a fear of failure that often stops us from actually stepping out in faith and going forward with something. But the good thing about failure is that in failure, there is the potential for redemption, for transformation, for renewal. And this is what we saw in Peter. Peter stands up at Pentecost, and he had failed in his following after Jesus. He had stuffed it up. But Jesus came to him as the resurrected Lord and he looked him in the eyes and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. And that's what Peter does here at Pentecost. He feeds the early church with this first sermon. And so in a world without Jesus, failure leads to depression. A world with Jesus, failure 
leads to redemption and restoration and the the chance for transformation, as we see in Peter. We saw it in Paul's life as well later in Acts. In fact, Paul says, I don't want to be called an apostle because of the life that I led before. I failed. I persecuted the church. I put people to death. So this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a failure. And this is what can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, a failure. In fact, going through Bible college, I had one motto that I held on to. It is that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. God does not call those who have it all together, who have the gifts, who have the power, who have the the charisma to do stuff. God calls, he equips, he empowers through the Holy Spirit, those who he calls to a task. And Jesus, perhaps this morning, is calling you to a ministry, to a task, to, to witness in your sphere of influence this morning. And you might think, oh, I'm a failure. Good. It's a good thing that you are because there's a chance for God to redeem you and to use you in a powerful way. This is Peter, bumbling Peter, but now he's a lean, pre- <laughs> lean mean, preaching machine. Eloquent, bold, he's all over it. He's, pre- he's, he's quoting scripture off the top of his head uh, and he's doing an amazing thing. And that's what can happen for you too. So Peter uh, addresses, addresses the crowd and in his sermon there is a formula that we see in every sermon in Acts. Every sermon in Acts has two parts to it. There is the proclamation of the gospel And there is an exhortation. There is a call to repentance. So there there isn't only just information, the gospel, but there is what does that information do to you and do in your spirit, in your life? There's a call for transformation. There's a call to repent and respond. So the gospel, what is the gospel? And we're going to see it here. Jesus died. He was buried. He was raised to life. He sent it into heaven as Lord. That was it. And in every sermon we see these things talked about. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is the gospel. Jesus died and was raised to life. And that gospel is what um, Peter is about to share in this first sermon and the gospel that gets a response, an amazing response. So we, we finished last week with, with Peter saying, all these people wondering what's happening with this, this Holy Spirit experience. Like these people are talking in our language and we don't understand what happens. And Peter gets up and he dresses and he says, this that you see happening is that which was written about. And same in our lives. I said, when people come to us and say, why do you worship? Why, why do you sing these songs? What, what happens in church? We should be able to say, well, what we see here and what we see in our lives is that which we see written about in the scriptures. So he, he quotes Joel to start, a bit, to start. And then if we continue from uh, verse 22, which is where we're up to. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Peter is saying this man, Jesus, was God's son. He was a a miracle worker. And because of those miracles that you saw, 
You witnessed it. We're not just telling you about it. You saw him do all these amazing things. Because of that, he is accredited by God as, a, a, and as, as, a, as the Messiah. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So what we see in the gospel is, in the life of Jesus, isn't just a chance thing. It isn't just a reaction to what happened there. This was always God's plan. This was always God's purpose to redeem uh, Israel and then through Israel to redeem the rest of the world. It's, it, was, it was set in purpose before you. With the help of wicked men, put him to death. Here's the gospel. By nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah, we serve a risen Jesus. And then he quotes scripture again. He uses scripture to back up his point. He's saying this man Jesus died, but he was raised to life. Now we're witnesses to that, but also the scripture testifies to that. And he quotes Psalm 16 here. He's saying this was written by King David, our, our greatest king as a nation. And he wrote these words. He says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known me the path of life and you will fill me with joy and presence. And then he goes on to say, now Peter wrote this. This uh, David wrote this, is David talking about himself? Because I can take you to King David's grave. He's over there. He's obviously decaying. Death has obviously come upon him. So these words that David is writing about are not about himself. Who are they about? They are prophetic. They are about Jesus Christ. So he says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. There it is. It's over there. Go check it out. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. In fact, we're a witness of it. Of it. In fact, the, the early chapters of, of Acts, we saw them witnessing to the fact that Jesus was there with them, touching them, speaking to them, having meals with them. And then he quotes Psalm 110, which Jesus himself actually used. If, you were, if you're writing notes and you want to have a look at it later, look at Matthew chapter 22. Uh, and in verse 44 there, the Pharisees are trying to question Jesus. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus himself quotes here Psalm 110. And again, this is a psalm of David. And David is saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Hang on a minute. The Lord, Yahweh, God, said to my Lord. Well, who is my Lord? Well, it's Jesus. Sit at my right hand, ascended to heaven. I will make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So there's the gospel. Jesus died, 
was raised to life, and he ascended into heaven. Gospel is preached. And I, I say that because many of us have been around church a long time and we, <clears throat> we, um, we might hear a sermon and we might hear some good ideas, we might hear some encouraging words, we might hear... Uh, some points that help us to get from A to B or some suggestions that are helpful. But unless Jesus is exalted, unless Jesus and his death, what he's done for you, and his resurrection life that gives us life is spoken about, can we say that the gospel has actually been preached? Every sermon in the book of Acts talks about Jesus' death and his resurrection. So the people hear the gospel. And what is their response? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. I love that. The words of Peter, the gospel, was so powerful that the people there were just cut to the heart. Wow, I'm a sinner But God came and sent his son to die for me so that I might have life, that I don't have to decay like King David, but I can too be raised to life and find, oh, my goodness, that just does something in me. Have you ever had, had that in your life where the word of God just cuts to the heart? I had, had an experience in my life where uh, I had failed <laughs> quite Largely, and I was weeping in my bed as, as a 20-year-old. And I opened up to Psalm 32 that says, He forgave me the guilt of my sin. And it was like the words just jumped out and <laughs> slapped me in the face. I was cut to the heart. That's the power of the word of God. And it cuts to the heart. And it does something and it causes a response. It's not just information. Oh, that's nice. I'll write my notes and put it up on the wall, but this information, this truth, this reality does something in us to transform us and make us respond. And that's what we see here. The people say, oh, what are we going to do? What? They, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do according to this gospel that you've preached? Peter replied, repent and be Baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all of you who are far off. So, this is a promise. When you respond to the gospel, when you say yes to Jesus, there is a promise that is for you. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for those who witnessed the first sermon. It is for you and 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 me. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. If you are far off from the Lord and you've turned your, your heart to him and, and you've called on him to save you, the promise is for you, for the gift of the Spirit to be in your life. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
That was Jesus' own words as well. Those who accepted the message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to the number daily. Now, 3,000 people were baptised that day. I don't know what that baptism service looked like. Divide, okay, Peter, you take that 100. John, you take that. <laughs> you're done, you're done, you're done. Oh, still going, you're done. So there's a lot of people getting baptised that day. But it's interesting the number of, of 3,000. If, um, if you look at the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, and we talked about this last week, that there was a correlation between the, the, uh, the, the, the experience of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, and that was with the coming of the law. The, the fire, the smoke, uh, the, the sound of the wind, that happened on, on Mount Sinai with the coming of the law, and it happened at, at Pentecost with the coming of the Spirit. Now, what's interesting to note, if you've got your Bibles or you want to just look at this, Acts 2 says that those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number. So grace gives life. At the coming of the law, it says in Exodus 32, the Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. I don't see a coincidence that Luke mentions those words and uses the exact same phrase. See, the law leads to death. Trying to please God can never lead to life. Living a good life, jumping through hoops, pursuing, working hard with your works. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to please him. I'm going to be a perfect person. You're a failure. What happens with that one time you fail? It's not enough. The law never leads to life. The law only leads to death and decay. 3,000 died. But on the day of Pentecost, spirits there empowering Peter, the grace gospel gives life. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so now we come to a picture of a little snapshot, really, of what the early church looked like. It's a wonderful description of the church, and a lot of people have studied it and looked at it to help churches be New Testament churches, really. So it's really important that we look at what did the New Testament church prioritise? How did they manage themselves? What were the things that they did? And what were their actions and attitudes? So first of all, well, let's just read through it and then I'm going to come back to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe with many wonders and miracles, signs that were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, that wasn't going to last for very long because soon we see persecution come upon them, but they're enjoying it in those early days. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. First of all, 
remember when I talked about when you have lists of people in, in Scripture, they often put the most important people first? Here Luke gives a description of the early church and he, and he, and he gives a list of, of their priorities, what, what they devoted themselves to. Now that's an amazing word I think that perhaps we've lost a bit in our church and in our following after Jesus. How are we devoted to him and his, his life and his church? But they were devoted, number one, to the apostles' teaching, to learning. It wasn't just, uh, and you might have heard this, look, I'm not, I'm not really into theology, I'm not into doctrine, I'm just into loving Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to love Jesus. Well, question, how do you love Jesus if you don't know who he is and what he's done for you and what his purposes and plans are for you in your life? That's how you find out, by being a learning church. And this is what the early church was. They were a learning church, and it was first on their list. Now, I say that because I believe today in the world that we live in, we live in a world where the message of the Scripture, his plans, his instructions for society, for individuals, for families, is being eroded away and is being um, not tolerated. In fact, it's being attacked. But here, the New Testament church were devoted to his instructions, how to live, what he has for you, what it means to be married, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to live and to, to uh, make a difference in the world. And they were devoted to it. See, I think we've got a society that doesn't like outside instruction confronting an inside opinion. We all have our opinions. We all have our own thoughts on the way we should live and the way society should be. But ultimately, if Jesus is Lord, then I have to submit to his authority and to his instruction and to the way that he wants our world to be. And sometimes that conflicts with my own thoughts about how I think God should act or how people should be in the world. So people don't like an outside source coming in and confronting an inside opinion. And we're seeing that a lot in our world today. But here, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what was the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching was Jesus' teaching handed to the apostles. These men spent three years with Jesus, walking, living, sleeping. They were there at every miracle, at every opportunity for Jesus to teach them. Some of the things they didn't quite get, but after the resurrection, the Scriptures opened to them, oh, that makes sense, now I get what you're saying. So this is Jesus' teaching and those 40 days where he was risen, he taught them again. So now they're getting the instruction, they're getting what it is. And now the apostles take that, it's not their own thoughts, their own ideas, it's Jesus' ideas that they're teaching, the apostles' teaching. You might say, well, they, they spoke then and, and then the church happened and blah, blah, blah. Well, how, how do we get to now and know what the apostles' teaching is, because it was all word of mouth. Well, do you know what? We've got the apostles' teaching. 
the New Testament was written by the apostles. So if we want to be devoted to and be like a New Testament church, devoted to the apostles' teaching, we get devoted to this book. We open it up, we read it, we be inspired by it, we be uh, led by it, we be instructed by what it says, even if we don't like what it says. So first of all, they are devoted, they are a learning church. Secondly, they are a loving church. The word fellowship is there. Many of you have done a a word uh, study on fellowship, koinonia, which means uh, togetherness, a sharing, a participation. And we see this uh, have an amazing effect on the early church. In fact, they're not just uh, getting together, but they're they're like-minded. So they're thinking the same. They're on the same page with one another. They're, They're on mission together. They're sharing each other's possessions. That's pretty wild. They're... Um, they're eating together. Part of reading through Acts and preparing for this got us thinking, hey, let's, before next night service, let's, let's get some tables in here. Let's bring some food. Let's fellowship together. I think because of COVID, we've, we've all sort of shrunk into this insular, our own little houses and our own little worlds, and we've forgotten perhaps what it's like to just chat and fellowship and learn and, and hear from one another. So we want to have a fellowship meal and, and be together because fellowship can't be done alone. Fellowship can't be done alone. Fellowship can only be done with other people. And Jesus calls his church together, his body of Christ, to come together. And we see an amazing Example of fellowship. Third, they were a worshipping church, praising God, praying, meeting in homes. And fourthly, they were a missional church. It says the Lord added to their number daily. Now, how did that happen? Did people just come and knock on their doors and say, hey, I'd like to be a Christian? Or were they witnessing in the way that they lived and that was eye-catching. I mean, these people sold all that they had, often generations of, of work equipment or property were sold and they had glad hearts. They didn't care. We'll give it away. People were looking on going, what is going on here? It's attractive. It's, it points to something. Something's happening here and that, that people are inquisitive and they want to find out more about it. So they ask questions and then the gospel can pre- be presented and not just information but transformation happens and new people are added to the number. So they're missional. They're sharing the good news about Jesus Christ as they go about sharing uh, their possessions with one another. So I just want to uh, mention a couple of things here that I see really interesting in this picture of the New Testament church. First of all, obviously they thought that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, (laughs) which aided in them not really caring about what they had here on earth because they had an eternal view, an eternal mindset. Now, I think potentially as Christians in a Western Christian church, we might have lost a bit of that mindset that we see here that had an effect on them. 
And I mentioned that at the start. Heaven is our home. This earth isn't our home. Our ultimate destination is going to be with Jesus for eternity. And when we've got that in our view, when we set our minds on that, that changes the way we live and what we do and what our priorities are. Have we lost our eternal view? Have we lost the notion that heaven's our home and that we can't take things with us? And that changes the way we then view them and look at them and think, well, how can these be used for God's kingdom? I was, um, during the week, I went out to get lunch and my car was parked up by the coach house and um, there was a man sitting on the, in the, on the grass of the coach house and I was walking to my car and he, he called out to me. He said, life's short. Make sure you do what you want to do and live your life well. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, that's, that's a strange thing to say to someone passing by. And I thought, oh, this is, I think this is a God moment here. This is, this is a guy calling out to me. So I sort of jumped the fence and I said, hey, how are you going? This is, I introduced myself and he introduced himself. And he said, I've just been sitting here for half an hour. I've been looking at this fence and it's decaying. And he says, that's what life's like. We're all decaying. We're all going to be broken one day. What's life all about? He said, my wife is, I'm waiting for my wife who's, who's got cancer and she's having treatment in the hospital. What's life all about? And this guy just fully opened up and, and fully understood what this notion is all about. We spend all of our life blinded in this world pursuing stuff and making stuff and and efforts when ultimately it's all going to come to nothing and heaven is our home there's salvation in Jesus that's going to give us life in him for all eternity so I was able to say to this man hey you know that those are really good questions to ask have you have you thought about it have you have you read the bible and he says that's one thing I'm going to do before my die. I'm going to read the Bible front to end. I said, maybe you should start with the New Testament <laughs> and, and, and hear about this guy, Jesus. And I said, hey, look, if you've got questions, you want to you know, come, and I, I hope that he, he thinks about it more and, and, and looks for those answers to those questions. So, so obviously this New Testament church were compelled to not care about their things, but to sell it all and to give to those who are in need. Uh, interesting thing down the track, we see Paul wanting to take up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, who are the poor saints in Jerusalem that Paul takes up a collection for? Probably the people who sold everything <laughs> and gave it all away. But here's, here's the, the end story to that. Even when we give away what God gives us, he still provides he still looks after us. And the second thing I look at when I see this New Testament church is some people think, well, this New Testament church practiced communism. It kind of looks like it, doesn't it? Well, they, they didn't have anything that they owned themselves and they distributed wealth amongst everyone. 
the New Testament church didn't practice communism, they practiced commonism. Because <laughs> communism is forced upon the people. It, it is a structure that, you know, the Roman church didn't say, okay, when you, or taxes and whatever, you have to do this, you're forced to do this. There's, there is no instruction upon the early church for them to do what they did. The apostles didn't say, okay, we're starting the church and everyone do this, because not everyone did it. There was no pressure, there was no instruction, yet there was this natural spontaneity of generosity that happened in their lives, that there was a oneness of heart and mind that they were able to go, you know, this isn't forced upon us, there's no one telling us to do this, but I want to do it. I desire to do it. And that's what should be our response when it comes to being a church and making a difference in the world and being a New Testament church is that we're changed by the gospel, by the good news, and it transforms our heart in such a way that, that I don't need instruction. I don't need to tell you to tithe. I don't need to tell you to go witness. I don't need to instruct you to do stuff. There's a natural spontaneity that just bursts out of you and you desire to do it. And we come together and we celebrate that and the good news stories that comes from that. Um, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this is what we're seeing. A couple of months back I did a sermon on one anothering one another. Here the New Testament church is practising one anothering one another. They are loving, they are praying, they are serving. And everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now it says here that they found favour with those around them, those who saw their love for one another, who saw their acts, who saw their good deeds, knew that they were Jesus' disciples. So how is it with us? Do people see our good deeds? Do they see our spontaneity? Do they see our generosity and go, wow, there's something different about this person at my work. There's something different about this teacher at my school. There's something different about this shopkeeper that they'll know that you are his disciples because you love one another, just like the early church. Paul talked about this like-mindedness that we saw evident in the early church. It says, since you then have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This here again is this same like-mindedness, this commonality that they shared. Now some of your Bibles might say, set your affections on things above. Probably a better translation of that word there set your affections if you did a word study on on the word affection and affections uh, affections plural is often in the negative you've got too many affections you're, you're scatterbrained you're, you're over here you're, you're loving that you're loving that and you're, you're loving that and and your heart is your affections are, are here and there and everywhere here Paul is saying, and what we see happening in the early church, is rather than having affections, have one affection. 
have one heart, together with the body, one mind, the unity to set our hearts on him and what he has done for us. Because I tell you what, it's pretty easy to not have affections when you don't have anything to to have an affection of. <laughs> it was easy for them to to set their minds and to have a oneness when they didn't have anything, any possessions. <laughs> Maybe the Lord's speaking to us in that this morning. To set your one affection, to not be scatterbrained, to not be loving this over here and then loving this on a Sunday morning and then loving that over there and then and then coming again to Jesus in prayer, but just to have one affection. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, that will be added unto you. God provides. God cares. God has your back. But let's set our eyes and our hearts on him. I just wanted to end this morning. Does anyone have something that the Lord has? Remember those three questions that Jesus is saying to you? Uh, Last week I encouraged you to talk to the person next to you and to share what you've got out of this series so far. Does anyone have on their heart something that has really inspired them or something that they've learnt something that they've gleaned from doing this study that you'd love to share. I just want to give you that opportunity now to do that. Yeah, come on up. Um, I had a particular... Um, moment, uh, probably was about the first session, I think, um, or maybe the second, I can't remember. Um, but, and I feel I really needed to respond in prayer, and, and Dan prayed with me. Um, and we found that, in a sense, we both had the same desire. Um, in that, those of us that have been in the faith for a long time, um, we just, we do the same things over and over again. And I know that they have grown, we have grown in that and our understanding of Scripture. Um, and and it, I'm not saying it didn't, it hasn't started and it was always f- uh, flamed by a passionate love for God. Um, but there, comes, there came a point where I was particularly impacted by the, the thought where Sam, when you said um, that the time of casting lots had finished um, and that there was a new time of the spirit, um, how that they made decisions um, in the past because they cast lots. And I thought, you know, have I become so um, accustomed to the culture of Christianity um, that I make my decisions according to the way that it's, you know, that it's right to do it. Now, I'm not saying that that, that learning, uh, all that education is not good, but my heart was saying, but Lord, I want to follow the Spirit. And, and I just want to encourage you as a church to just join me in that. I want to hear from the Spirit I want to be part of the new, 
the the way of hearing from God, um, even though I have experienced some amazing, amazing moments where I have heard from God and I've heard from the Spirit and, um, you know, even just your little testimony about the man um, there who was calling out to God um, uh, in the grassed area in front of the coach house because his wife had had cancer. And, and I just go, I mean, most of you know that I'm, I've been on a five-year journey with cancer. Um, and God has just done some amazing things all the way through. But I've had some pretty tough times too, some really tough times, especially when I first came. But the scripture that, that has buoyed me up all the way through has been an eternal perspective. You know, it's what Sam is saying today, it's the eternal perspective. And the scripture is um, from Romans 8 verse 11. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me that he will transform my mortal body. Now I know that that the context of that is saying that, um, you know, one day there's an eternal perspective. I will be transformed. But I also know that day by day the Spirit is transforming me um, and changing me. And that's what I desire. Um, I just want to, to hear from the Spirit of God and I want to... Uh, I just wanted to share that with you um, and I just have been sitting on that for a, a couple of weeks and I just really felt so. Thanks, Sam. I'm sorry I took a bit long, but I really did want to share it. Um, uh, thank you. Awesome testimony and, yes, yeah, speaks into what we were sharing today. Yeah, there, there is a transformation coming, but day by day, today, that means we're being transformed into Christ's likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is here and he wants to meet with you he wants to work in you and so I don't want to just give information and everyone go well that was an amazing sermon I want there to be transformation I want you to know in your heart of hearts that this spirit that was poured out on Pentecost the promise is for you and you, and you, and you, and you, and for that transformation. To ca- and it happens ongoing. It's not just a, a one-off event, but continue to be filled with the Spirit. You might have a dry time in your life, and you just want to open yourself up again for the Spirit to do His work in you. Is there anyone else who wants to share? wish I'd spoken before Bev um, because I'm not as articulate. Um, I've been here five years and um, I've been through some hard times and this church has been amazing and I've made some amazing friends and some really strong women that I particularly that I really um, admire and have really been a huge support to me. Listening today um, through that five years has reminded me that I've been taking I've been sitting here, I've been listening, I've been learning and I am involved in home group and joy group and, you know, coming to church and and I'm receiving so much. But what this reminded me today is that I need to give back. So not that I wasn't listening to Sam because I was, 
But I was also thinking, you know, it's time in my life now that I could actually start volunteering and doing something for community. So, yes, I still work full-time and I, I hope that my staff see in me the differences and that I am a Christian and, and how I treat them and how I support them through their personal and their business lives. But I want to step out now. So everything that I've learned and been supported with, I want to be able to do that and go forth and start doing some volunteering so I can give back. Yeah, wow. That's amazing, Barb. And... By the way, if you're not listening to me but you're listening to Jesus, I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I said the power of God, the word of God cuts to the heart, does something in us, powerful, it's strong. Anyone else have a word that they want to share? Well, I know time is getting on, but I can excuse the fact that I talk too much at the report that I can give myself a little bit more time. I want to do something different this morning. Uh, we're going to sing in a minute, and that's coming. But I just want to spend some time, perhaps in silence, some time, as I said, Peter gave this sermon. Jesus died, he said, for you. He was raised to life for you. There is a response that comes, a turning from our old ways to turn to him, a call for repentance. Do you know what repentance is? It's turning around. If I was walking this way and I'm choosing to walk in a direction in a, that has its end sight away from what God has for me, the gospel comes to my life and it says where you're going isn't great. The destination, perhaps lawlessness that leads to death. Respond to the gospel, repent, which means turn around. And now all of a sudden my trajectory, my direction where I'm going is completely the opposite and it's in his ways. I used to liken it to doing a handbrake on a dirt road. You turn around and you go that way. Peter called for repentance. He called for a change of mind. He called for a change of heart. Now you this morning might not feel like you're walking away from God, but there might be some things in your life where perhaps your direction is a bit skew if. Like if... If I just do this little bit to the side of what God wants for my life, oh, that's not going to matter. I'm still sort of heading in the right direction. But the more little things and the little things and the little things and the little things, before we know it, and we don't know how it happens, sometimes we are walking in a direction that he doesn't have for us. And he calls us to respond to his good news of Jesus. Joe's got a hand up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not a U-turn from here to here, but it's not have your eyes on things of earth, but lift your eyes. That's the same. That's the same lifting, and that's exactly what's up on the screen there. Set your, your heart, your affection, so your eyes not are looking on what your circumstances are, be, are or what the challenges are in life. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus... All the other stuff has to fade away because you're not looking at it anymore. And whatever we spend our, our thinking on, 
that starts to direct us and change our behaviour or change our attitudes and approach to things. So it might not be a 180 handbrakey this way, but maybe it's a handbrakey um, looking up to Jesus and, and his way of doing things. Yeah, yeah that's good. So what I, what I want to do is just get off the stage here and I want everyone to just, uh, you might want to close your eyes, uh, you might want to kneel, but I just want to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to come and uh, if you need a 180 degree turn or it might even just be a few degrees or it might be as Joe said, you've been looking at the stuff around and you haven't had your eyes on him for a fresh feeling of the spirit to inspire you to empower you to be all that God has called you to be and to have that transformation come that that just changes your life and gives you a, a new new way of living the new creation so I'm gonna just walk off stage and I'm gonna just we're gonna leave it silent for a few minutes and that question that Barb has had answered for her, might, that might be answered for you right now. What is Jesus saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in your life right now? Does anyone just want to give one more opportunity? Anyone game? to share what they feel like the Spirit's just been sharing to them. I invite, invite the musos up while we do that. Anyone have a des- desire to respond this morning? Anyone have a desire to be filled afresh? Anyone have a desire to turn, to turn? Perhaps our, your eyes haven't been where they should be. Well, we're going to... Yeah, you. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> you and me. Um, hi. Uh, this morning I was getting in the car to come to church and my neighbour walked past with her two dogs in the rain and the cold and, um, and she said hello and we hadn't seen each other for a while. And just made a bit of small talk. And then I'm like, well, I suppose we should get going to go to church. We're running a bit late. And then she's like, oh, I've been off for a few days. And then she started telling me about how she um, hurt her back. And she, I had no idea what was going on in her life. And, um, and I was like, oh, like, I felt cut to the heart that I was more focused on getting in the car and getting to church than listening to what her needs were. So um, just in that silence, I, I just said to God, Lord, give me an opportunity to invite her around for a cup of tea or something like that. And, and uh, the failure, I don't need to be held back and give up because of that. Uh, that's what came through from the sermon. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to sing a song that says, and the and the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame and that's going to be joyful to sing at this day of Pentecost where we celebrate the coming of the spirit, the empowering of the people and that empowering is not only for people in the Bible but for you and for I and so as we sing this song again as we, we do most weeks if you, if you just want a, a transformed heart if you want to walk 
more closely with Jesus. You might want to come and, and kneel at the front. You might want to lift your hands in, in praise to Him. Ask the Spirit to do a work in your, in your heart. If you want someone to pray with you, we're going to get some people down the front here to pray with you as we sing. Uh, if you want someone to pray with you later on in the, in the prayer room, Make, we'll make that available to you as well. Or if Jesus is speaking to you, if, if you are cut to the heart this morning, if the power of God, if the Word of God has done something in you, it, it, don't, don't leave it. Don't leave it. But do something with it. Respond, repent, and, and go to Him. So let's, let's stand together and sing. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your gospel of truth that you have come and you've made a way for us, that you've died on that cross for our sin, that that's no longer held against us. There's no barrier between us and God. And because of your resurrection life, we too are raised to new life, to new birth, a new hope in you where our home is in heaven for all eternity. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on that this morning. And Lord, as we've heard the gospel, help us to respond. Help us to turn to you, to say, what can we do because of this? Jesus, what are you saying because of this? What in my heart of hearts do you, how do you want me to open up my life to you and to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. wonderful last line of the song just to finish up today with praise forever to the king of kings thank you to everyone who's shared today and thanks sam for just the reminder about uh, eternity about the fact that our every breath is a gift from god so i pray that you've been encouraged today and if you would like prayer for anything please join us in the prayer room otherwise please stick around for a cup of coffee and tea and uh, god bless thank you